Good afternoon and welcome to Colton Court on a snowy Monday afternoon just across the river from Philadelphia on a snowy February day and I'm your host Gerald Colton, longtime sports agent attorney. Normally I am I'm joined and accompanied by my co-host and partner Jari Evans, the six-time Pro Bowler for the New Orleans Saints and Green Bay Packers. But Jari, a little under the weather today and I'm going to have to go solo and Taylor will be there to back me up a little bit on a, an unusual show for us. But uh, there are so many things always going on in the world of sports, and it was a particularly busy weekend and week in Philadelphia. And we're going to start off by discussing what has transpired with the Philadelphia 76ers over the last week since our last show. Um, we all go to Sixer games regularly. We're not just covering sports, but we, we are sports fans and not just in the business as well. Just sitting back and enjoying our hometown basketball team. The Sixers have gone through an interesting transformation over the the last several years where they did it, what they referred to as the process that was labeled by their former general manager, Sam Hinkie, where they basically intentionally lost games and tanked games for four years. And myself didn't love the process, especially since I was charged full price for my season tickets to the process. But by the same token, the the fruits that the process bore were Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, two of the great talents ever to play the game and, and guys who I felt even before they really laced up the sneakers for the Sixers would probably wind up in the Hall of Fame. They're, they're both sort of on track for that as they are still in the early stages of their careers and both are sensational and talented and fun to watch. But the Sixers, you could tell, um, needed some fixing. They made a big trade early in the season when they acquired Jimmy Butler from Minnesota for Dario Saric and Robert Covington, and they took a team that had gotten to the Eastern Conference semifinals last year and, and, and traded two of its starters um, for a player that didn't necessarily always have the greatest praise from teammates and clubs, but had a lot of talent in Jimmy Butler. And he's come in, and uh, he hasn't completely fit in perfectly because I don't think the team has completely gelled and found its roles yet. I don't necessarily fault Jimmy Butler for that. I don't think he has had any problem doing whatever the club asks him to, but the team has only been together for half a season with Jimmy Butler. They're actually 27 and 14, an exact half a season of 41 games since Butler's arrival. They were 9 and 6 beforehand. But the significant moves happened last week. Tuesday night, Taylor, our producer, and, and Jerry and I went over to watch the Sixers play the Toronto Raptors. And the Raptors um, have been at the top of the Eastern Conference stand, standings for the last several years. Uh, they haven't advanced to the finals yet. They've had some Achilles heels in the playoffs, particularly Boston. But they have been one of the dominant teams in the East. And they have been, again, this year, they're in second place overall. But a team that has really given the Sixers fits, and with the addition of Kawhi Leonard, are, are real matchup problems for the Sixers. And, and Toronto came into Philadelphia, and, and the Sixers were never really in the ballgame to win it. Toronto controlled the game on the Sixers' home floor, beat them relatively easily. And, and you left the building with a sense that the Sixers are still not there, that they were still somewhat far away. There's no question one of the better teams in the East and no question a, a, an absolute playoff team, a team that should no, under no question go to the second round. But you weren't sensing that they could take that next step because in all likelihood they probably play a Toronto in the second round the way the standings are, are hashing out. The Sixers are currently fourth overall in the East, just ahead of Boston and just behind Indiana. But Indiana lost their, their good player, Nola Depot, uh, although they made an interesting move to acquiring Wesley Matthews and signing him. And he's a, a nice guy, that a nice player that I thought the Sixers might be after when the Knicks waived him. But Indiana probably fades, and the Sixers probably finish in the third spot. Toronto probably finishes in the second spot. And we're going to see the Sixers match up with Toronto should both teams survive their first-round series, which they probably should. And what you saw on Tuesday night was that the Sixers just 
just aren't ready to really overtake Indiana or Toronto at this time. You, you know, you still have a long way to go before the playoffs. There's still a couple of months of the regular season, and and um, and anything can happen, and they can get it together. But you just weren't sensing that it would be a good one for the Sixers. So I, I think Elton Brand probably watched the, the Sixers. First year, Joe Mayer probably watched the game with the same sense we had and knew he had to do something really big. And uh, by the time I woke up the next morning after going home from that game, the Sixers had made a blockbuster trade where they picked up Tobias Harris as a signature piece of the trade, a real star player for the Los Angeles Clippers, who people may not have seen play a whole lot on the East Coast, but just a guy who has gotten continuously better during his career, along with a really, really strong backup center and Bowen. Marjanovic, and uh, they also picked up uh, Michael Scott in the deal. In the other deals, they also got James Ennis, and, they, and um, although I don't know uh, if, if Malachi Richardson's going to play at all, and then they got uh, Jonathan Simmons in another deal that I'm going to talk about shortly. But the real big piece, of course, that they picked up was Tobias Harris, and it, it just in one fell swoop, Elton Brand filled all the needs the Sixers currently have. Now, is it going to be a team good enough to get over the top this year? It might not. It might take some time, and it still might need another piece or two. But but he clearly added depth incredibly to a team that was lacking and added another great starter and scorer and some just real important role players. Um, in Boban Morjanovic, you have a 7-3, kind of gangly, gawky-looking guy, but is a really a NBA player with a perfect kind of ego and where the Sixers have really lacked at times is when Joel Embiid either is not in the lineup or goes out and in particular when he goes out because you, you're anticipating that you'll have him for the important games in the playoffs. You need a, a someone, a rim protecting presence and backup big man and maybe a good low post player to play those 10-15 minutes that, that Joel Embiid need to be on the bench and you've got really a perfect role player for that. He knows his role, he's got the perfect ego for it and he puts up really effective numbers numbers in his minutes that he gets. So um, just thrilled to have him. I, from the first time I saw that guy play, and, and, and he, he's, he's an odd-looking figure, and you don't expect him to be as athletic as he is. You don't expect him to be uh, as really basketball savvy and knowledgeable. And the guy just is a really solid NBA backup center. And, and the first time I felt the Sixers have had somebody play that role since Embiid has been in the league. Uh, they've had other good athletic players. I liked Rashad Holmes and some of the other guys. I like Bolden somewhat. But those guys hadn't ever been plugged in to just play a real backup five role. I know Amir Johnson was signed a couple years ago from Boston. I was never happy with him really playing that role. And I don't think he ever did it effectively. And he's really been out of the rotation for the Sixers. I think they've kind of given up on him him playing effective minutes. So I think they really helped themselves out there. Those are really important minutes that you don't suffer now that you have Boban in there. And then with Tobias Harris, you saw it from the second he set foot on the court on Friday night against Denver, and that was that you got a guy who plays with a low ego but can do every single thing on the floor. There's really no glaring weakness. He can really shoot the ball from long range, has good size, plays good defense, runs the floor well, passes the ball well. I'm just a guy who has unbelievably fit in the first two games, which were wins over both Denver and the Lakers, and, and both were really effective home court victories by the Sixers, and doing what a, what a good team has to do in protecting home court, but beating Denver, who is one of the best teams out West, and, and a really, really good basketball team, and they took care of business. In particular, what they were solid in that game that was impressive is something they haven't always done well, and that was they played really great down the stretch. They, they, it was a tight game, and they took over down the stretch and, and put it away at home um, in a way that they haven't always done, and it's it's hopefully something to build, and that's what good teams do. It's, it's winning time. You take care of the game. In an 82-game NBA season, it's hard to play 48 solid, hard minutes every night, but 
The good teams know how to keep the game close and win it down the stretch, and the Sixers have not been great at doing that so far under this current regime. And um, and you saw it happen on Friday night in a way that I think will be really good for them as, as they go on and, and bodes well. And, um, and then the other players, um, in, in Ennis, Scott, they'll have to find their roles as, as role players, but I think that they are upgrades. The Tuesday night game against Toronto I was referencing, in that game, Landry Shamit, a, a rookie guard, uh, uh, who it was a late first-round pick by the Sixers this year, and Mike Muscala played big minutes for the Sixers that night. Chandler was out, who was also involved in the trade, and we didn't really get very much from him in his short time with the 76ers. He was hurt for a lot of it, and then when he came in, he never really found any kind of consistency. He showed some flashes, but nothing that I think they were going to miss. Um, but Muscala, he was, so he was out, and Redick was out for that Tuesday night game, and the Sixers showed the glaring lack of depth that they had at that point, and, and the guys they plugged in, Shamit and Muscala, did not play well in those roles of, of trying to fill those minutes. Um, and they're just it was a team that didn't have enough firepower for for the very talented East at this point, in my opinion. Um, so when they get went out and got everything they did, I think they upgraded every position. I think Shamit's going to be a nice player in the league, but he's not ready for that role yet. And at this stage, if you want to try to win now or get as close to the championship as you possibly can, uh, I think that you got to worry about the players who can do it for you now. And, and giving up Shaman and giving up Muscala and giving up Chandler, uh, I don't believe they gave up anything from the team that they didn't upgrade upon and upgrade significantly. And the other move they made, and it's a move that uh, – I was happy to see, and something that has stuck in my craw for a long time, and i got to trace the history a little bit of it. The Sixers, during the course of the tanking that went on for four years, kind of got chastised by the league and, and basically were forced to bring in Jerry Colangelo, a longtime NBA executive. He had been general manager, owner of the Phoenix Suns, uh, very well respected, a big leader for USA Basketball, a big NBA person for years, although he never won a championship, and I thought it was always important to point that out, but he was kind of forced on the Sixers, and the Sixers ownership group led by Josh Harris, they they had been new owners to the league, and in their time there in, as owners, basically they were putting a product that was inferior on the court, and intentionally doing so, with the hopes that someday they would build a, a good team, which ultimately uh, the manner in which they went about it is hard to argue with for the long-term success, but during the process, it wasn't really always enjoyable to watch, and you had to have a lot of patience. And in my my own personal beliefs in sports is it's it's kind of a bad karma. You're testing the NBA gods or any gods when you're intentionally losing, but by the same token, the reality of the NBA is that you almost have to get bad to get good, and the Sixers were felt that they were caught in this Nowheresville, this, this mid-range land where you're just an average mediocre team and there's nothing worse because you're unable to get the players you need in the draft, you're not attracted to free agents, and, and that could perpetuate itself and go on forever. And they felt they really had to do something drastic, and, and the drastic was to really intentionally lose, to get rid of any good players, and to tank it for four years. And the NBA got a little tired of the Sixers Act. In particular, I think when they would start doing anything good, they would dish off their players immediately, and there have been players that they had drafted such as Nerlens Noel, and um, I, I won't even use Okafor in, in the category, but uh, they've just gotten rid of anybody who was any good and tried to, Drew Holiday, and, and just tried to wait, 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 and, and accumulate draft picks and wait till these guys blossom. And the league forced kind of Jerry Colangelo to come in as a consultant, and Jerry Colangelo uh, basically ousted Sam Hinkie, who was the general manager, the architect of the moves behind the process, and then 
and, and, and Sam Hinkie, although he was carrying out the plan that was put in place by he and ownership, became the fall guy. He wasn't anybody who was good with the media or, or comfortable with the media. And that was partially his downfalling, as well as the fact that somebody had to lay on the sword for the fact that you really weren't trying, and yet you were not willing to admit that publicly quite to that extent. And so Calandra comes in, and Hinky's gone, and they do an extensive search. It, it, it overlapped because Hinky wasn't gone until after the, the new GM was hired. But Jerry Colangelo does this, does this extensive search and finds the best GM on the planet, a guy who named Brian Colangelo. His son is a guy he happens to bring in to, to carry on the process and actually, at that point, probably bear the fruits of Sam Hinky's suffering. And Colangelo came in, and in my opinion, was just an unfettered disaster in his time in Philadelphia. I didn't like anything about the way he conducted himself and conducted business for the 76ers. And, and his big move was before the 2017 draft. It is not very long ago, but it, it is, it's something that just felt so bad for the entire time to me. And that was... And, and this was not any kind of second guessing on my behalf. And everybody who knows me knows I started railing against it right away. If you were going to get to where you wanted to for the 76ers, that would be overtaking the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics had had built a, a nice team. They had Kyrie Irving, and they had a whole lot of depth along with him. And that was a team you knew that you would have to overtake to get ultimately to the uh, NBA Finals and have a chance to win the title, and they're in your division. They're your your long-standing rival, um, and you just historically you have to know the history of Philadelphia and Boston, and you just you just don't want to do anything that's going to help the Boston Celtics out. And before the 2017 draft, the Sixers had the third pick, and Boston had the first pick, and Colangelo executed a trade that I just can never understand how the heck he saw this as a good trade, and that was taking a good draft pick the Sixers had accumulated in their in accumulating assets for the for the process, a first round pick um, that they had from Sacramento, and traded that along with a third pick just to move up two picks with the Boston Celtics, just to move two picks from three to one, and take Markel Fultz. Now, it was a draft that was very deep in talent, and whether it was Tatum, Lonzo Ball went second, uh, going down to DeAndre Fox, and a whole bunch of other really, really good players in that draft. And the Sixers moved up just two picks to take somebody who wasn't necessarily clear-cut number one. It wasn't a draft that had LeBron James, or like next year's, it might have Zion Williamson. They picked a guy named Markel Fultz, and Fultz who plays point guard and played one year college basketball at Washington, one year where they won nine games, and he, he didn't even make his high school varsity team as a sophomore, so he played two years of varsity basketball, one year of college basketball, and was the number one pick. Now, that's not an unheard of jump, but by the same token, uh, Markel Fulce's resume wasn't as lavish as some of the other people that, that teams invested in in that situation. Additionally, Markel Fulce played point guard, which – Ben Simmons had been drafted number one overall. Uh, the previous, he was drafted a, a year prior and had to sit out that whole year. So you, your point guard of the future that you had invested in with the first pick was coming back and playing his first year. And then you moved up two picks to pick number one, another guy who plays point guard, who to me wasn't the clear-cut number one when you could have just sat at number three and waited. And I think you probably would have gotten Markel Fultz. If you didn't get Fultz, you would have gotten Tatum. And Tatum was a guy who then went to Boston. So Boston, in essence, got... Tatum and a first-round pick in exchange for Fultz, and not only was did that not look good at the time to me, at the end of last season, the first season in effect for this, Tatum was the best player in the court as the Celtics 
picked apart the Sixers in the playoffs and beat them four games to one. And at the same time, Markel Fultz couldn't even get on the court. And the guy didn't not not only did Markel Fultz, whether it be injury, whether it be his head, whatever it was, not only did he not look like a number one overall pick, he didn't even look like an NBA player. He was a guy who had all sorts of bugs in his shot, all sorts of different things and issues, and just didn't ever adjust to the NBA. And Markel is a super, super nice guy. I wish him the best. I hope his career works out. He certainly needed a fresh start and fresh change. But the end of that whole Markel Fultz saga was great. Part of it bothered me was that he got cheered. Philadelphia has such a reputation for tough sports fans, and the sports fans of Philadelphia could not have been nicer to Markel Fultz. They actually cheered him when he missed shots just for being out there, just for trying, just to support him. Everybody in Philadelphia really did everything they could for the kid, um, and it just didn't work out. He had his agent making comments after Markel would say he was healthy and feeling fine. His agent made comments that he wasn't, and basically sat out these last couple of months and had all sorts of experts and uh, look at his shoulder and try to diagnose something and after about 10 of them somebody diagnosed thoracic outlet syndrome or some such thing um, which is an unusual thing for a basketball player it may be very legitimate I, I don't know I don't know what, what's in Markel Fultz's body all I know is his body of work on the basketball court was a disaster in Philadelphia and Elton Brand to his credit pulled the plug on it, didn't go any further with it, and salvaged it with a first-round pick from Orlando and a decent player in Jonathan Simmons who could play a nice role as the Sixers' rotation develops with these newfound pieces. So we got about five new players that will play major roles for the Philadelphia 76ers now, which is an incredible change in February, but immediately paid dividends. They looked great together and meshed very well so far. They'll have to figure out the rotation. Brett Brown is going to have to figure out how to manage the personalities and the egos and the ball. Um, ben Simmons did not play great in these last two games, but he'll feel his way with this bunch, and he's starting to show a more willingness to shoot the ball, and hopefully um, all the things that you know Ben is capable of will all come to fruition. And this thing could all come together real quickly, and um, you've, you've got a whole bunch of people to take the pressure off now, not, not relying on one guy every night. You've got five starters who can really score the ball, all five of them, because now you've added uh, you, you've, you've put Tobias Harris in a starting lineup that includes Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler, and J.J. Redick, and that is a fantastic starting five for the Sixers, and now you've got a bench that includes Boban and Scott and Ennis and my guy T.J. McConnell. Um, it's just a or Simmons. It's it's a really solid NBA team in every in every area, um, and it could be a very very exciting several months. And hopefully there'll be basketball into June in Philadelphia. And for the first time in a really really long time, I think the Sixers have a legitimate legitimate contender. Uh, you know, we're, we're, everybody seems to say, hey, the goal is to get to the NBA Finals. I don't completely understand that because to me, the goal always has to be to win an NBA championship. Uh, and, and I think they can potentially do that. It's obvious that the Golden State Warriors are the premier team in the league. And they play it at a different level, but you just never know. And when you get there, who knows what can happen in, in a seven-game series, and there's injuries and all sorts of other things. But I, I think the ceiling of this team is so high, and they've only just begun. In the meantime, what sports is all about really is entertainment. And we have an entertaining thing going on in Philadelphia. This weekend, you had the, the Denver game. And for the Denver game, the Sixers honored Moses Malone, one of the great players in Sixers history. And just to trace the history of Moses Malone in Philadelphia, um, free agency had just started in the early 80s when um, 
the Sixers had a team that had gone to the finals three out of six years. They had gone in 1977. They were up two games to nothing to the against the Portland Trailblazers. They wound up losing four in a row after a Daryl Dawkins and Maurice Lucas fight sort of changed the momentum, and Bill Walton and the, and the Trailblazers beat the Sixers in six. Um, that seemed at the time like the Sixers were just getting started. It was the first year that Julius Irving had come over from the ABA from the Nets, and he had come over just on the eve of the season. And the Sixers had... A, a tremendously talented team, but but some some room to improve still on them. So uh, it was a really great turnaround. Just in a few years earlier, 1972-73, four seasons before that, they had won nine games. They had gone nine to 73. So the transformation from that team to the 1977 team was as as drastic as it could be, and and the future was bright. And and it really lived up to that future. But the Sixers made it back to the finals. In 1980 and again in 1982, just barely missing out the other three years. And they came up short every time. In 80 and 82, it was to Magic Johnson and the Los Angeles Lakers in six games. And there was a feeling that the Sixers needed another piece to get over the, the hump. It was a team led by Julius Irving. It has terrific players and all-stars Maurice Cheeks and, and Andrew Tony at guards, a great player, and Bobby Jones who had come over from Denver for George McGinnis after the 79 season. And just a, an unbelievable defensive team with a great coach and Billy Cunningham and everybody knowing their roles. But the the weakness seemed to be maybe at the center. The, the, the big men on the Sixers team were Daryl Dawkins and Caldwell Jones, two nice players but not all-stars, um, probably more of role players, especially Caldwell Jones with more defensive ability. And Moses Malone was a two-out-of-four previous season MVP for the league, played in Houston, wasn't surrounded by tremendous talent, and took Houston to the finals in 1981. They actually only won 40 games. They went 40-42, and 42, but he still took them to the finals. Um, and it won a couple of those MVPs, and the Sixers went out, and free agency was a little different back then. It was really a restricted free agency. The club had a chance to match the offer. They had two weeks to match it. So the Sixers signed Moses Malone. It was in August, and I remember, I remember hearing the news break. Um, I was down at the shore, and I jumped so high when I heard it because I knew Moses was exactly what that Sixers team needed, a, a big man presence, the hardworking, the rebounder, the scorer, the selfless player. He was all that. Moses Malone was a, a terrific player. And and just worked outworked everybody, and uh, so the Sixers signed him, and the deal was astronomical at the time. Taylor, you know, you have any idea what it was? I, I do not know. I'm getting a little history lesson right now. <laughs> well, it, it was a blockbuster, largest deal in the history of sports at the time. It was six years, thirteen point two total dollars, thirteen point two million total dollars, two point two a year for six years, which right now. Um, I don't know, you know, I guess you're the 15th man if you're making 2.2. Of rookies making triple that. Yeah, so it's, it, but Moses Malone, the best player in the league at that point, or the, at least certainly the best center and the guy who the Sixers needed, they, they traded, they, they signed him from Houston. Now, Houston did match the deal. This was before the 1982-83 season. Houston matched it, but worked out a trade because that astronomical 2.2 million a year figure for Moses Malone, the best player in the game, was they could not afford it. It wasn't worth it. So the Sixers wound up trading Caldwell Jones in a first-round pick to acquire the guy they had signed as a free agent. Really, really worked differently then. But from the time Moses stepped onto the court with Julius Irving and company, that, that team was great. They went 50 and seven over their first 57 games. Staggered a little at the end because Moses. Was, was feeling some knee pain. They really wanted to rest it for the playoffs. And then he made the famous statement before the playoffs that they were going to win in fo fo fo, which was there was 
at that point, if you finish first in your division, you only had to play the three series. There was a buy through a best of three first game series that you didn't have to worry about. And that he, he felt they were going to sweep all the games. The first series, they swept, swept the New York Knicks. Second series, they played Milwaukee, who was really good in a perennial Eastern Conference finalist, but somebody who couldn't get over the hump either. That team had Bob Lanier and Junior Bridgman, Mickey Johnson, and uh, and actually, Doc Rivers was was the point guard of that team. Really terrific team, but not quite enough firepower either. And Milwaukee, the Sixers beat Milwaukee in the first three games of that series, lost game four in Milwaukee, and they came back and beat them in five, and then played the Lakers in the finals and swept them. James Worthy had broken his leg and missed that series, but they still had Magic. They still had Kareem, and they still had a whole bunch of other great players, and they were the defending champs. Had won it two out of the three previous years, and the Sixers finally got their title in four games. And It was really Moses Malone who got the MVP of both the season and the playoffs that put them over the top. And back then, Moses, you know, as, as the prophet from the Bible is, took the Sixers to the promised land. They finally reached where they had come so close and been knocking the door for a long time. And you thought that they were going to continue to win a lot of titles. I'll get back to what happened after that It's at an, in another show. Um, we're celebrating the Sixers. I don't want to go through the painful things that happened in the years that followed. But... Moses wound up just playing four years here before being traded, and then he came back briefly at the end of his career. But that one year, that one year alone was enough to probably get his, his jersey in the rafters. It was unfortunate when they traded him later because it was sort of this, the real start of the downfall. But Moses Malone took the Sixers to the title, much in the way that Pete Rose. They were different types of players for the team. But the Phillies, we talked about last week, how they needed that additional piece to get over the top of a team that had won three divisions but couldn't get to the World Series. And Pete Rose taught them how to win and get over the top. Moses Malone took the Sixers over the top um, in a way that took pressure off of Julius Irving and was able to negate the stars on other teams better and a defensive presence that really helped. It was a, a perfect marriage um, for one incredible season. That, that league at that point was dominated by the Sixers, the Lakers, and the Celtics. And the Celtics and Lakers then went back and forth with the Celtics winning 84, Lakers 85, Celtics 86, and Lakers 86 and 87, or 87 and 88. Sixers couldn't quite break through again. But 83 will always be near and dear to my heart. I am blessed to own a championship ring that was left to me by my late uncle, who was the equipment manager, and Moses will always be special. And it took a long time for the Sixers to recognize him and retire his number up into the rafters of the Wells Fargo Center, um, but they did honor him on Friday night. The unfortunate part is Moses passed away suddenly a couple years ago. He was at a golf tournament and um, and went to bed and didn't wake up, and uh, we lost a great guy and a great piece of Philadelphia history, um, and he he really would have loved seeing his number go up. He, he uh, Joyce Irving in, in making the presentation when they brought back a whole lot of people, and Charles Barkley made sure he was there. Charles spoke at his funeral, and he always looked at Moses almost as a father figure to him. Moses was the one who taught him how to work, taught, taught him how to be an NBA all-star, taught him how to rebound in a way that made Charles one of the best ever, and, and he really credited Moses with being the guy who taught him how to do that and how to become a man. And uh, so he made sure he was there, despite his duties for TNT, always in Atlanta. And actually, the Sixers personnel did not know he was showing up until until that day. Huh, until he actually that's a nice up. surprise. But, but, but that's but that's Charles and um, and Joy Serving was sort of the master of ceremonies, along with the announcer Mark Zumoff. And he he talked about about you know Moses joining that team and what he meant to them and how how he's missed. And it's it's a shame. But Moses, in his typical selfless personality, he really was a, a humble, down to earth guy. 
insisted that all the names of his Sixers teammates were stitched onto his banner if it ever went up there. That's what he insisted if they ever retired his number. And although he wasn't here to see it, his family was there, and a lot of his former teammates whose names went on that banner with him, Clint Richardson, Bobby Jones, although Bobby's in the rafters himself, um, Reggie Johnson, a bunch of guys, some of the role players from those Sixers champion, that Sixers championship team. Mark Ivoroni was in the building. So a really terrific night to honor Sixers past, and hopefully someday soon, maybe there'll be another championship banner going up there. We certainly have a team that should keep them in the running for a while now and, and really in the conversation. On, on top of that, they're also, they've become the entertainment capital of the NBA just about. I mean, listen, Golden State's a walking show all the time. Wherever LeBron goes is, is an event. But Philadelphia has slowly become the place, certainly, certainly on the East Coast. And it's, it's nice to see. It's been a while since the Sixers have been that kind of team. They were that team when Allen Iverson played for the Sixers because um, he, he just was the most popular, attractive guy in the NBA during those years. But they have become a real event in Philadelphia. Last night or last, yesterday afternoon, they played the Lakers. And the Lakers are still the Lakers. Even when the Lakers are bad, people still want to follow and see the Lakers. Cowboys of the NBA. I, I, yeah. I think it's a decent analogy. I don't know if they're as hateable as the Cowboys are. I don't know. It depends on your perspective. But you'll, you'll find a Lakers fan wherever you go, essentially. That, That's that, what I mean by that. That That is for sure. There's no question. And, and there were a whole lot of, in, in my lifetime, there have been three different eras of bandwagons allowed for the Lakers because you had the Wilk going there in the late 60s and 70s, which, which led them to a championship in 1972. You had the whole Irvin no Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar era, and then you had the Kobe Shaq era, and so and now you've got LeBron. So it's they've managed to, and, and, and actually... Historically, Taylor, if you go back to the start of the NBA in 1946-47, the Minneapolis Lakers didn't come in until two years later. They were still playing in the other league. And they came in with the first big man in the league, George Mikan, and they won five out of six championships from 49 through 54. They won five of the six championships. And a guy named John Cundler was their coach. Actually, Bud Grant, who became the coach of the Vikings and lost four Super Bowls, was on that team. But but the Lakers historically, which is why Los Angeles Lakers, even though it goes together, it was actually the Minneapolis Lakers, the land of 10,000 lakes. Not not too many lakes in L.A. It doesn't (laughs) rain there much either. But... (laughs) But so the Lakers actually was was uh, originally the Minneapolis Lakers, which fit better. And it's one of those teams that when they transitioned and kept the name, it, it still fit. Unlike the Jazz that moved from New Orleans to Utah. I never got that. <laughs> it's the most incongruous nickname in sports. But <laughs> but anyway, the Lakers are always a show. And the Sixers Laker games used to always be terrific. And you would only play them once a year and then maybe in the finals. And, and it would just bring out everybody. It was always always a, a CBS at that time carrying the, the national game. It would always be on. It would just be a great day at the old Spectrum. Well, it was that kind of day yesterday at the Wells Fargo of a really – Big event, and the Sixers were up for it, and the crowd was up for it. I don't think the Lakers were completely up for it. I'll address that in a second. But the fact is that the Sixers have become the marquee place, and and not only is the building packed and all these rabid basketball fans in Philadelphia that have anticipated and waiting waited so long for success. And it's a loud stadium, too. It, it, when it's it packed, does, does not translate on the broadcasts at all. You know, it's, it's it's just interesting because it really wasn't built for basketball. It's a hockey stadium, but when it's packed and it's rocking, it really it really has a lot of energy in it, and uh, and it's been packed for the last two years and, and should be continue to be packed certainly through the rest of the season, but throughout the future, the foreseeable future. But last yesterday, you you are an event. Now, you, you've got the world's top model and Kendall Jenner's there. I know she's Ben's girlfriend, but she's there courtside. You've got Mike Trout. 
the world's best baseball players here. You have M. Night Shyamalan, people would say one of the best producer directors in, in film. He's there ringing the bell. Uh, Carson Wentz is there. And, and Al Sean. Uh, and, and that's a whole different story where, you know, there was a lot of suspicion that Alshon was one of the guys who was the sources saying that Carson wasn't a great teammate. They sure looked buddy chummy yesterday sitting courtside at the Sixers game. Um, Allen Iverson, of course, back in town. Little Uzi, great rapper. And, and it's just a um, really star-studded celebrity hangout now. And, and the Sixers are an event. And, and it's really nice to see Philadelphia do it. And then the Sixers rise to the challenge. The Sixers played a terrific game uh, all, all around. Everybody filling their role, playing in a way that you can really see a team that is on its on the verge of, of excellence. And was, I think it was like Tobias, Jimmy, and like two other players nearly averaged uh, 70% field well, goal. You know, and, and even though I'm always touting TJ probably too much, but from the first second I saw that guy play basketball, I was like, that's my kind of guy. He's a guy I can relate to, someone who just works so hard and makes all, all he possibly can out of his talent to play on that on the court with the NBA players and succeed. But yesterday he played you know, what I think is a perfect game as a backup, a backup point guard. He was six for six from the field, one for one from the, from the free throw line, one of the six was a free three-pointer. He had no turnovers. And what more can you ask of a backup point guard? And That's it, all you need. <laughs> so, but, so you just everybody playing their own. I don't want to even, even just say them. Joel Embiid was dominant. And, um, it was a good bounce back game because he wasn't great in that Denver game. He he wasn't great, but I think Taylor, what what we see now is that this team has enough weapons, enough pieces that they can afford that off game. That's what I was thinking exactly. Like, not the best Joel we've seen in a while, but it really didn't matter because you got three other guys that average twenty points. You know, in your starting lineup that you can rely on now. No question, Taylor. Normally, the game that, that he played on Friday night where he really struggled, the Sixers probably lose that game against Denver if they don't have the new group of Tobias Harris, et cetera, who Tobias was terrific. Jimmy Butler also, for whatever reason, in these last two games, looked more comfortable than he had previously to me. And and we'll see. I mean, that's still going to emerge. They've got two games left before the All-Star break. They're going to go. Uh, they got the Celtics tomorrow night, which is a great time for them to come in, although I, I don't know if Kyrie Irving's going to be with them. And I, really, I saw Kyrie was not going to be, uh, play. That's that's unfortunate because you wanted to see them play them at full strength and get a real good gauge and a real good test. But, you know, there's, there's still a couple months to go in the season. Boston will come back in. Uh, the Sixers will have the tests of the teams they'll have to play in the playoffs, and, and we'll see where they are. And, and the Sixers have the Knicks Wednesday. And they should close out with two victories and go into the All-Star break and uh, with a whole lot of participation of the Sixers down at the All-Star game in Carolina. As they've really become a, a marquee team, an exciting team, and one that Philadelphia can love and, and hopefully at some point win another championship. But it's been a great little time for them. Um, I want to make a comment on the Lakers before I get off tomorrow, yesterday's game, and that is that you know, I've talked about LeBron a lot on our show in the past, and I could not hold an athlete in higher regard than I do LeBron for so many reasons, mostly that the guy had the spotlight cast on him when he was a high school kid, a teenager, 
and he never got out of the spotlight. And we are now 30 years later, and the guy has just always conducted himself the best way. Also possible. had the most unrealistic expectations. Which he not only lived up to, probably exceeded. Which never happens. It's, it's, it's so impossible where his where his expectations were and, and, and how he has just always met them and then some. Um, and, you know, they, look, there's, there's going to be always the debate as to who's the greatest of all time. There's a whole lot of Jordan supporters. And that's not really that's not really the important point because the fact is that if LeBron's not number one, he's number two or number three. And um, and his legacy, his 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 historical perspective is not done yet. This guy is still performing at the top level. But what I have seen lately is that clearly his head's in a little bit of a different spot. It is not all about basketball for him right now. And on Saturday night, he spent the night before the game down at Charlottesville, Virginia, watching Duke, Virginia. So he, the Celtics had played Thursday night in Boston and had a couple of days off before playing the Sixers yesterday. And he took off down to Charlottesville with his agent, his hand-picked agent, who's not really his agent because LeBron runs the show. And there's no question in my mind it was a recruiting trip for Zion Williamson. And his, you know, he's about business and he's about um, really running the NBA because we saw what happened with Anthony Davis. That's his guy, too. He basically represents him, even though Rich Paul is in name the agent, and he represents Ben Simmons. And this guy is just running the NBA. And um, there's a lot of blurred lines with that whole thing that everybody has to be a skeptic about. It, it, it's, it's interesting because this can't happen in any other sport. Oh, no. Basket, no basket, basketball is just the most player-oriented sport, and this is the guy, the guy, the number one player for the last decade and a half, and he runs the league. And I mean, you could say he was kind of the difference maker to make it a player league. There's no question about it. He, you know, he, was, he, he, he changed the game. Now, you go back historically— when he left Cleveland in 2010 to go to Miami, he had Chris Bosh with him. That was that was just somewhat the start of the super team. Now, Boston had put together three stars in a different way a couple years earlier when they got Garnett, Pierce, and Ray Allen together, and they won a championship in the 2007-2008 season, their first season together. But um, that was kind of the first merging of guys from other teams. But this was the hand-picked superstars going to a team together in free agency with he and Bosch joined Dwayne Wade. And they went to the finals four straight years and won two championships down in Miami. And then he went back to Cleveland, sort of paid homage to his hometown team and won the championship. But since then, we've had the other defections of Durant joining Golden State and everybody recognizing that, hey, listen, you got to put together these super teams in order to be able to challenge for an NBA title. Uh, it's not enough to have one superstar. Certainly not even enough to have two. So the, the Durant one is a little bit of an outlier because you had Curry on that cheap contract. Um, all the other stars weren't up yet. Like it was literally perfect timing. So I, I obviously it changed everything, but. I, it, it's not like this is going to happen every time that somebody can sign to another team. No, and it hasn't been duplicated. And the interesting part, of course, you say Durant being a little bit of an outlier. Not only Durant went to a team that had already won a championship, been to the finals in the two previous seasons. The last so, team he played against in the OKC jersey, right? And and he had been up three games to one of them the previous season and lost the series, and they went on to to lose in that finals. But by the same token, uh, it was another guy just saying, "I can't do this." just by myself or with the guys I'm surrounded by in order to win a championship, I have to go somewhere else. And and the league has become alarmingly that way insofar as, and I would think if you're the commissioner, Adam Silver, you got a little bit of problem here, is that 
only a few teams can really win championships. You've, you're going to have windows of opportunities. For example, Milwaukee and Toronto right now both have very, very good teams. I don't know that they can sustain them over time. I mean, this is it for Toronto. It, it likely is it for Toronto. And Milwaukee has a superstar in Giannis that's a little bit outside the norm, and maybe they can catch something and pe- keep people there. But in general, you're not going to have cities like Milwaukee able to compete. And what you saw with Anthony Davis, one of the great players in the league, saying that he wants out of New Orleans because he knows the Pelicans. Pelicans won't ever be able to win a championship. And it puts the Pelicans in a very difficult situation, as does every club. Um, but, of course, it seems like LeBron and here orchestrating that move for him to join the Lakers. Now, Magic Johnson, who came up in a couple of different ways this weekend, claims that the New Orleans Pelicans did not negotiate with the Lakers in good faith because, basically, Davis says, I want to be traded to the Lakers. And he, Magic Johnson, part of whatever his role is with the Lakers, but part owner of the Dodgers also, and I don't know, somebody who just voices his opinion on everything. <laughs> and, and was also at the at the Wells Fargo Center yesterday. So, so you had LeBron James, you know, one of the top players of all time, if not the best. You had Magic Johnson, probably the top point guard of all time, and Allen Iverson's in attendance. He just had so much basketball royalty on the same weekend where they retired Moses' number and where Doc was there. So, so anyway, but Magic came out and said that New Orleans didn't, negotiating good faith. And I thought that was just an awful comment. You know, New Orleans owns Davis's right. They don't have to trade him if they don't want to. They have another year with him as well. And this guy's holding a gun to their head, their superstar, to get rid of him, which will be the death knell of the franchise no matter what they get. And basically LeBron's, the Lakers players, orchestrating the whole thing. And Magic is claiming the Pelicans are the ones not showing good faith. I, they don't know anything to anybody. And it's not like he's on good terms with his franchise. Like he's been sitting out the past, I think, nine games it was. Absolutely. Then the league basically threatened to punish him if they don't play him. So now yeah. they're going to be yanking him around a little bit. It's a very uncomfortable situation for, for a superstar. But the other thing that Magic sort of interjected himself into, and I don't know whether he initiated it, but it, it certainly came down on him, is that Ben Simmons has reached out to kind of work with Magic and learn from him and and sort of be tutored by him maybe this summer. Ben spends a lot of time training in L.A. His girlfriend now is kind of based out of there. Um, so I would imagine Ben has plans to be in L.A. this summer. And what better person for Ben Simmons to learn from than Magic Johnson? When I first saw clips of Ben Simmons when he was in high school in, in Australia, I, I immediately saw Magic Johnson. He's not identical to Magic, but Magic transformed the game. He was a 6'9 point guard, and he played the game like no one else did and saw the court in ways that no one else did. And although they're not necessarily comparable athletically. Ben has a lot of different skill sets that Magic didn't have, and Magic had a, had, a, had a way with things that isn't necessarily Ben, but but they were two really different point guards to ever play the game, and Magic can really teach Ben a lot, I think, about being that big lead guard, and um, Ben's game has, I, which I think is already terrific, has so much room for improvement, too. Sure. So, so it's interesting because um, Magic, as part of the Lakers brass, working with Ben, would be seen as potential tampering. So, so I heard today where Kalinka, the or Rob Palinka, the general manager for the Lakers, and he's another one you know transformed through being an agent. He was Kobe's agent and yep. sort of became in Lakers and, tied. And, and yep. listen, I'm all for that. Rob Palinka, his resume is terrific. He was one of the Fab Five. The guy, the guy is a 
above. The oh my first. God, that's right. So, I mean, okay, he was, he was the fifth. He was he was the other one, and so his, he's got some good historical reference sure, to him yeah. and some good pedigree of his own abilities as a player. And then was a very successful agent. And, and and I don't really know him, but all I heard about him was really really good things. If you remember, even when Lamont Jordan uh, a few years ago backed out on a verbal agreement with Dallas, he he had been his agent. He stepped away from him for that. I mean, just really a guy with a lot of respect. And then um, became the general manager of the Lakers this year. So he apparently reached out to the Sixers, to Elton Brand, to say, hey, listen, Ben's indicated that he'd like to work with Magic. Is that okay? And Elton Brand, just in, in completing his terrific week, said, no, <laughs> it is not okay. You cannot work with my player who, when he becomes a free agent, is represented by your superstar, and you guys are going to be trying to court. No, you cannot. He knows how to play the Sixers and, fans. It, it, but... But the guy has been so terrific. Elton Brand is one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. And, um, you know, he was a former first pick himself and had a nice career. Not quite superstar, but a nice star A lot, career. A lot of injuries at uh, yeah. very detriment. And, and he got signed by, to a big contract with the Sixers. Never quite played great here. Was a good, solid player, but just a terrific, terrific guy. And he sort of got thrust in the general manager position as the Sixers did their search last year. And apparently there were a lot of people who really didn't want the job. Um, and 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 it took a lot of time. And then Elton, who had been here being groomed by the Sixers brass and running the Delaware franchise and kind of spent this summer working with Brett Brown on the personnel decisions after Colangelo's ouster for his text message stuff, um, he then gets thrust in a role. And he has just been amazing. The Jimmy Butler trade was terrific. These moves he made this week. And, and again, playing to the Sixers fans, getting the city of Philadelphia is certainly something he does. He's just it, a, it, it felt like a cop-out hire at the time, but obviously he's been exceeding any expectation that I ever had. And I think majority of the fan base ever had. Taylor, there's no question, you know, when they did it, it's like, wow, you know, they, they said they're going to go out and get the best general manager on the planet. And... You can't say that Elton wasn't it. It's just there was no history to say that he was. And when you do this search, it takes months, and you go a whole summer without a GM because you're trying to find their, the best one out there, and the guy you hire is like your number three in command here. It didn't feel good at the time. Um, the only thing that felt good to me was that Elton Brand is such a class act, and, and he's a winner, and, and you can only hope that – that things would work out that way, and uh, so far, so good. So far, so good. I, I hope that I see Elton Brand hoisting the Commissioner's Trophy, the Larry O'Brien Trophy, someday in the not-too-distant future, and the Sixers continue this ascent. So, a lot of, we, you know, I'm missing you, Jari, but we're 45 minutes in, and, you know, we, we haven't skipped a beat yet. <laughs> um, and I know you would chime in and, and have a lot of disagreement with me on most of my basketball opinions, so we'll get back to that next week, because Jari and I... Um, for example, he doesn't see Ben Simmons as a point guard, and, and, oh, yeah, and I've, I've heard the conversations. And and he looks he looks at things in different ways, and and Jerry always has the player perspective also that's that's unique and different than I do. So I I, lo- I love his different perspective. Um, but there's a there's a few other things to touch on as uh, in, in our remaining time. One is Taylor. Yesterday, last night was the Grammy Awards, and I like to go outside sports just a little bit with what we do, and um, and it got me thinking about. Great sports songs. And, you know, sports songs are generally, you, you, or there's those stadium anthems. Yeah, stadium and, songs, yeah. And, and stuff like that. And I mentioned my love of Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie about Queen recently. And, and they have that great anthem, actually two anthems, the We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions. And then and another one bites the dust. I was going to say, they've got a 
laundry list of them. Yeah, which is why when, when the movie came out and the current generation that might not have been all that familiar with Queen or only knew Bohemian Rhapsody didn't realize that we will rock you, we are the champions, another one which us were even Queen songs. So um, they're known and they, and they have a legacy that lives on because of that. But they actually had done, Billboard had done a couple years ago, a top 100 sports anthem list. And it was just it was just interesting to go see, uh, to look at it. Um, and a lot of the songs on the list are ones that you know and would expect, but some of them you don't even know the names of. <laughs> like, sure. like I don't know, Gary Glitter, Rock and Roll Part Two, which is the Hey song. Oh da, yeah, yeah. Da, 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 da. That's like number six or seven on the list. Um, it, it uh, just just to tick them down. It's just it's just kind of funny to look at them. I don't know where to start because it, it, the hundreds a lot. Like thirty number thirty five was one that I would have thought was higher, and that was uh, it's streams or steams rather. Na 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 na. Hey, hey, hey. yeah, <laughs> like yeah, all like easy sing along right. courses. Yeah. That, that was always the team, the song that you would sing at the end of like a high school game when you beat the team, yeah. or, or when somebody fouls out, or whatever it might be. So that that was thirty five, and then jump, crisscrosses jump, which is played a lot at sure. the start of games or when there's a jump ball is thirty four. Um, I don't want to go through all of them, but um, there's it, it, all the ones you expect are, are on here. Led Zeppelin's Rock and Roll is thirty. Strike It Up is at 29. Bon Jovi gets in there living on a prayer. You know, these are great timeout dance songs that you, that you always see. And that somehow a lot of a lot of young kids know these songs from hearing in that context. Bill Conti's Gonna Fly Now, which is the Rocky theme, yeah. is number 26. Probably would be higher if this were just a Philadelphia list. Yeah, that, that's played at every <laughs> Sixer game that I can remember. Yeah, so Let the Dogs Out is in the 20s. Enter Sandman, which was probably more because of Mariana Rivera. Moni Moni by Billy Idol is the 22. Sweet Caroline by Neil Diamond is number 20. You never hear that at a Philadelphia event. but if, Red Sox, it, obviously. But, but obviously it's the Red Sox 7th inning stretch song and one that's been played for years. Blur is one of those songs. It's by song two, and I don't want to try to sing it, but it's one of those songs. Woo-hoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Woo-hoo. That's a, like the goal song and stuff yeah. like that. Um, Shout gets in there from the Osley Brothers, which is more known from... uh, Animal House. Yes. (laughs) But I was trying to think of the band's name. It was... What's the band that they... Oh, from the movie? Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember. And Al Parsons Project, which was that that Chicago Bulls Bulls, intro song. Yes, Cyrus. Um, And then we go into the top 10. It turned out for what was number 12. And there turned out for what rather, and then two two unlimiteds. Get ready for this is number ten, number nine. Ozzy Osbourne's Crazy Train. I that's nah. it feels like a walkout song more than like a <laughs> stadium anthem. House of Pain. Jump around at number eight. Number seven is Gary Glitter's Rock and Roll Part Two. I don't know exactly how Part One goes, but it's Part Two. <laughs> it's the only one that matters. <laughs> yeah. Then uh, Survivor's Eye of the Tiger. And I'll see Rocky. The theme of the original Rocky. Yeah. Is in the 20s and Survivor's Eye of the Tigers number six. Can't necessarily agree with this, all of it. White Stripes, Seven Nation Army, which is one of those other. That's it, big for uh, soccer ex- stadiums. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So, so worldwide, that's really big. Zombie Nations, how do they say it? Kerncraft, 
400, which is another one of the German guy. Yes, yeah, yeah, you, you got it. And uh, Naughty by Nature, Hip Hip Hooray, Hip Hop Hooray at three. Huh. Number two comes in with Guns N' Roses, Welcome to the Jungle. No, Boomer Sison was my first client at, as an agent, and that was the theme music that the Bengals came out to. Oh, it yeah. was really fitting out there at, that, at the time, playing the Bengals in the jungle, and that's what they called it. But it's played everywhere, and number two all time. And then the number one is Queen with We Will Rock You. And I guess kind of going into we, we Are the Champions. But I just thought on the day after the Grammys, it was worth touching on music and sports. Obviously, number one is probably the national anthem. But sure. <laughs> as far as the real sports anthems. And the um, Eagles make the Meek Mills dreams and nightmares their, hey, their own anthem. And then there's also Fly Eagles Fly. But that wouldn't be on anyone else's list. Uh, Anyhow, this past weekend, we saw the AAF make its debut. And we've touched on a little bit because Jim Monis was a guest on our show. And the AAF, the Alliance of American Football, is the first non-NFL regular football league to launch the United States with any kind of fanfare and any kind of financial backing, any kind of really television in a long time, um, probably since the XFL Faded or NFL Europe, um, and those those faded out. And for me as an agent, it's always been a frustration over these past decade plus that there's no alternative to the NFL for players. They they're either in the NFL or basically on the street. Canada doesn't work the same way, even though everyone thinks oh it must be easy then if you can't make the NFL go to Canada. But they have national rules up there that keep your limit of Americans, and so it's only really skilled really? position players that go there. So, huh. so you, you see, you didn't even know yeah. that most people wouldn't know that, and it's a different kind of football game. So. A lot of the quarterbacks, running backs, and D-backs are American. Receivers are Americans. There's not actually a whole lot of running backs because it's really a passing league with only three downs. But um, but that's it. The, the linemen generally aren't. Every once in a while, you get a rush DN type guy. And so and then um, arena football is a very different game. And other than that, there's no there's really no alternatives for players to make it. So if a player gets cut by the NFL, it's not like the other sports where they go to minor leagues or they go overseas to play. There are there's no place for them to go. And a lot of times their careers fizzle out. What happens as the season goes on, the NFL teams will call up guys and have workouts and see who's been able to keep themselves in shape and then sign them off of workouts. But it's not the greatest way. You, you really so need, many spots you, you can get. You can't, and you you what you really need is to show film. You need to show on film what you can do as a football player. And there's no way to do that other than play football. So the AAF was launched and it was put together in, in chief by Bill Polian and. Ebersol, a TV executive, and they have what they need to have to make a successful league, and that is television exposure and television money and backing. They're on CBS. They were CBS primetime Saturday night. They're going to be on NFL Network primetime both Saturday and Sunday through the season. And and for their 18 league, most every game is going to be nationally exposed. Um, and there are a lot of good football players that are fringe NFL guys. There's plenty of guys that are in this league. They're as good as guys in the NFL. It's just situational stuff. How do you think the NFL views this? Obviously, it's not a competition because of the time. But. You, know, you know, it's interesting, Taylor. I have always wondered why the NFL didn't want to continue NFL Europe because it was only estimated there was a cost of about a million dollars a team and they pulled the plug on it. Because NFL Europe was a spring-summer league that allowed the NFL to send some guys over there and develop almost as a minor league. And it worked well. My, my client David Akers started over there. Kurt Warner, Hall of Fame quarterback, had to go over there. And, and even whole, make it like a summer league equivalent of the NBA. Yeah, and it was and it worked. But for the extra million dollars, the NFL decided not to do it. I, I think the NFL would welcome an opportunity for there to be places to play as long as it didn't really cost them much money but they are supporting this as as far as i can tell from a couple of avenues number one 
the people running this league and the coaches and general managers are all former major NFL people. And that's a good thing because there's a connection and not they have bad blood. Mike Martz coaches the San Diego team. Dennis Erickson coaches the uh, Salt Lake team. And, and all the guys have pedigree in the NFL, except Brad Childress, who used to coach Minnesota, yeah. was an offense coordinator here. He was supposed to coach the Atlanta team, and he left right before the start of the season. So they have, like, a novice coach. But otherwise, it's all high-pedigree NFL guys. Yeah, legit names. And the other part that, that I say that they really do support it is the NFL Network is now a partner. That's owned by the NFL, and they're showing their games. So they must not want it. They must want it to work. They want it to work. They want people to tune in and watch and to be a thing that they can develop some talent from, probably. It just seems like the NFL is very self-centered on itself. Like, it's not really willing to open any avenues that aren't contributing to making them more money. There's no question, but that's why, I mean, look, they need programming probably through the winter months or the months where they're shut down, but they would not be putting their games on their network if they didn't want it to succeed, and both probably from a commercial success as well as maybe a feeder system of success. And uh, and we also have the XFL that's going to launch Vince McMahon's second creation of that. It was going to launch next year, so we're going to have two different leagues going as long as this one survives, but it seems like it's off to a good start. They had Decent viewership on Saturday night in their CBS game, like 3 million viewers. Now, just historically speaking, the XFL's first week on NBC back about a decade ago had 10 million viewers. Actually, probably more like 15 years ago now, but they had 15 viewers. Ten, no, it was 10 million viewers our first week, and they they pulled the plug before the season was even over. So, so it's will they tune back in? They're trying to do some some decent um, in-game things. They originally wanted to have betting. You could actually do betting online, like of plays and players, sort of play money fantasy now that the gambling rules have changed, but they're not going to be able to get that up at least until they're thinking maybe the championship game. But you can go on and call the plays and win points and play some sort of game while while it's going. And they had that app on, and they said it's fun, and it was on on all four games, and apparently it broke down all four games. <laughs> so that's not, not the kind of thing, not the yeah. kind of glitch you want, but they're doing some different things. They also, Taylor, had um, some really cool things that I think were better. The game was over in... Not much longer than two hours. They condense, you know, it, and it was still a fifteen-minute game. The clock ran the same way. It's just they sure to cut down on the commercials. No, they don't have the same advertising the NFL does. But they were trying to get a neater package, a quicker package, and they also cut out. There are no extra points. Everything's a two-point conversion, and there are no kickoffs. I'm a fan of that. It was. It really made it a more entertaining game. I am definitely a fan of that. And they have an eye in the sky that can overrule plays if, if the refs really obviously botch stuff. And there were just a bunch of little nuances that were pretty good. They also have made a big deal about player safety. And there was a play where quarterback got just crushed, and his helmet came flying off, and there was no call on the play. So I saw some people saying, hey, that's great, you know, they're letting him hit, but that's not really, it was really Yeah, that's not the point. That's, <laughs> not, that's not what they really wanted to do. But So the AAF has week one under its belt. Uh, one of my clients, Jordan Leslie, caught a touchdown pass for Salt Lake City. It was nice to see him back in there in a uniform. And here's, an, here's one of those kids who's, who was on the NFL bubble, and it gives him a chance to play and get some film and hopefully maybe get another shot in the NFL. I feel um, like they didn't really promote any of this well because honestly I had no idea it was starting this weekend you know maybe they were scared to I don't I don't know I, I, obviously they want to promote it but when I was talking to Jim Monis who will be back on with us he's a personnel director for San Diego and used to be with the Buffalo Bills in the NFL but um, 
and he, he couldn't make it today because they had meetings to go over the game and stuff like that. But he'll, he'll be back on with us to tell us how things are going. I was getting reports that they were scared they weren't going to be able to launch. And I think maybe they, really? wanted, they wanted to wait and see how things went. And, and, now, and now they're very, very pleased. But there was just some scary times. There's a lot to do to get a league off the ground. And they did not get a real early start. They kind of did it very quickly. But so far, so good for them. Their real problem. Of all the problems that they're go- they're going to have, well, one is will viewers tune back in? Will they have interest? But it, but it's tied to the other problem that I see, and that is the quarterback play was dreadful, like not even close to good. It was really really bad, and I think there's got to be, I don't know, either better quarterbacks out there than they have, or uh, there's just no good quarterbacks through the line. I was going <laughs> to say, how many great quarterbacks are in the NFL, the main league? You know, and that's a great question, Taylor, because they're all that, that comes. That brings us to you know the the constant debate that's out there of of the the Nick Foles. You know, do you let him go because how hard is it to find a good backup quarterback? Are there even 32 excellent quarterbacks for starters? Let alone that, or we might just be spoiled with the really good ones. And it, and, and and it could be, it could be because the quarterback play was really bad. And no matter how good a league you run, if you don't have good quarterback play, people just aren't going to be interested. So that has that has to improve. Anyway, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that we didn't even get to, and I don't know what we would have done if Jerry was chiming in. But it was great to great to go back and forth with you. Um, one other thing. Nick Stauska is a friend, one of the greatest guys, and got engaged last summer to a Philadelphia girl, and she was in law school. And Nick got signed. He well, he had been with the Sixers, went to New Jersey last year in a trade, and then wound up uh, signing with Portland in the offseason. So she transferred her law school out to Portland. And you know, these are these are the tough things that you don't think about when players get traded or maneuvered. Yeah. Nick Nick Stauskas got traded last week from the Portland Trailblazers to the Cleveland Cavaliers. So he gets up, packs his bags, goes to Cleveland. Then he got traded <laughs> to the Houston Rockets. Then he got traded, all within a few days, to the Indiana Pacers. Then he got released and just got picked up again by Cleveland. So that's literally... I didn't even know he got picked back up again. <laughs> he got picked back up. Oh I, th- I think it was today he got picked up by Cleveland. So... um Rent don't buy. <laughs> and, uh, what a and, shame! Jeez. And, you know, it's it's a lot a lot of frequent flyer miles catching up with whatever team. I wish him well. He's such a talented guy, and um, probably going to a Cleveland team that's got some chance for him to play might might be good for his career. But that's just this is some of the interesting stuff that goes on behind the scenes. It's not all it's all not all glitz and glamour being an NBA player. Sometimes sometimes there's a lot of loneliness and air travel by yourself bouncing around from team to team. But anyhow, the big moves the Sixers made were good. Oh, another point. Taylor, before we go, and we'll talk more about it. Kareem Hunt, who was released by Kansas City a couple of months ago after the video surfaced, awful video of him assaulting a woman, and the Kansas City Chiefs immediately cut ties with a great player and seemed to be able to— That they really could have used— they, it, you know, they came up just short, and Kareem Hunt was a yeah. great player. Was he the difference? Who knows? You'll never know. Um, but there was a lot of talk. What happens? He hasn't been. He has not been sanctioned yet and penalized yet by the NFL because he acted swiftly. He was signed today by the Cleveland Browns. John Dorsey, the GM of Cleveland, who originally drafted him with Kansas City, is now he has now signed him. So that's one of those examples. At the time Ray Rice's video surfaced, Ray Rice was at the end of his career. No one took a chance. It's one of those things when Mark Ross was here a few weeks ago, who was a former Giants scouting director, he said that he would not sign him. He would not touch him. But somebody will because talent trumps all that. And uh, somebody did. And you'll probably see him have a decent career. But it's it's just interesting that it comes down to talent. Eric Reed, who was the second person or first person to support Kaepernick, second person to sit out and take a knee during the national anthem, he got signed to a three-year deal with Carolina. So the blackballing kind of only pertains right now to Colin Kaepernick, and it seems like um, 
But we will see. We will see what happens with all that stuff and talk about it more at future date. We will have another guest with us next week as well as hopefully the return of my partner, Jari Evans. But it's been great hanging with you, Taylor, for the hour. Absolutely. Thanks for chiming and helping us. And thanks for doing, as always, a great job in production. I am your host, Gerald Colton of Colton Court. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with Jari Evans. Until then, thanks for listening to Wildfire Radio. Court adjourned.